You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. My guests on this episode of Talking Taiwan are serial solo entrepreneurs Ramon Ray and Paulo Leasing. Ramon has started five companies and sold two of them. He is the author of Grow Your Solo, a book about how to grow a solo business. Paulo Leasing is founder of MillionDC.com, a learning platform for entrepreneurs from developing countries. He is the author of Startup Taiwan, a comprehensive guide for foreigners and global Taiwanese who wish to start a business in Taiwan. Ramon and Paulo talked about their experiences running a solo business, why they've chosen to be solopreneurs, and what it takes to be successful as a solopreneur. Here's our interview. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Felicia. Thanks for having me, Felicia. Hey, Ramon. Could you introduce yourselves to my listeners and tell them a little bit about what you do? Like, what is the solo business that you're currently running or the most recent solo business that you've had if you aren't currently running a solo business? Uh, Ramon, could you start? Yeah, it's good to be here. So Ramon Ray, and I've started uh, five companies, sold two of them. And uh, my current company is SmartHustle.com. SmartHustle.com really inspires and educates small business owners to help them start and grow successful businesses. I'm also passionate about uh, a, a part of that, which is growyoursolo.com, which is something really geared toward people to help them start a solo business. A lot of focus, Felicia and Paolo, is on the big, big, big billion dollar companies, which, hey, be great if we can all do, but many people are the real smaller companies and they can still be successful as well. So Ramon Ray with Smart Hustle and really good to be here. Thank you. And Paolo, could you introduce yourself? Oh, I'm Paolo Leasing. I'm originally from the Philippines, but I'm currently based here in Taiwan. Uh, all my life, I think I've been working on corporate jobs. I used to work as a journalist back home. And then when I moved here uh, to Taiwan, I was doing digital marketing for tech companies here, such as Asus. And then I realized I needed to do things on my own. And that's when I started uh, Million DC LTD. It's basically a learning platform for entrepreneurs in developing country but because we have the pandemic right now I kind of shifted the focus a little bit to serving the foreigners who are here in Taiwan via the startupintaiwan.com so it's solo business but hopefully I could grow it as Ramon says to a billion dollar thing we'll see <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for um, introducing yourselves. Uh, Ramon, you, you are the author of a book called um, Grow Your Solo. And I'm wondering if you could share your definition of what a solo business is. Sure. I think it could be two definitions. And uh, one, it could literally be a solo business where it's only you. But I find the optimal size of a solo business owner is that solo business owner. Primarily, oftentimes, the business owner is focused on sales and marketing and servicing the clients. And they have a small ninja team that surrounds them that really helps them execute things such as maybe design or executive assistant, things of that nature. But they're solo, but they probably have a team of one, two, or three to help them do a few other things and scale them themselves. And so that's the power of being in a solo business. You're solo, but you don't have to be alone. Right. I like that Ramon mentioned about not being alone, but it's a solo business. In my case, I would 
be working on all the aspects of the business, but I kind of try to pull in the community around me to help me scale my business or improve on my thoughts, especially if you are in a startup like environment, you kind of have access to everyone like venture capitalists who may not be interested in what you're doing, but uh, are friends with you. So you could still ask them and, and you know, ask them for pieces of advice. You could actually leverage their presence by just asking them and helping you out, even though they don't, they're not part of your business. And uh... I wonder if you could share what you think are some of the pros and cons of being a solo entrepreneur. Uh, Ramon, would you like to? Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to. I mean, I think, listen, there's pros and cons to everything. There's pros and cons to having ketchup on your French fries, pros and cons to having, you know, I don't know, soy sauce in your hamburger. I don't know <laughs> where that came from, but whatever version you want to do. But I think the, the, the negative side of the things that may be a challenge are you are solo. You know, it is smaller, a larger company by the fact of their economies of scale. You have 500 people in a cubicle, 100 people in an office, whatever it were. So it's bigger company. But I think the beauty of a solo business, as my friend Seth Godin says oftentimes, three things. As a smaller business, I can choose who I work with choose what I serve them and choose how I serve them. I get to wake up every morning and it's just me and our small little team that's really passionate and focused on serving that customer. So that's why I like the aspect of being in a solo business. The larger you are, a lot more headache, a lot more people. And I think you get farther away from the customer. If you're really a creator and you love to create, I don't know, you know, black water bottles, the larger the business you probably won't be getting your hands on any black water bottles. You'll probably be up in the gleaming office tower, probably where Paolo is. He's probably in the gleaming office tower with, you know, hundreds of people around him. I'm just teasing. And it's a little different. You get farther from the customer. But that's the really advantage, I think. The smaller you are, you're really the craftsman or crafts lady, and you can really hone in on who that customer is. Paolo, um, what, what would you say about this? We've also read a numerous, uh, numerous studies that show that there's a tendency for a solo founder to be successful than a team than a startup that's being built by many uh, co-founders. So this alone actually tells you that because you are a solo founder, you get to decide on things really fast. You don't disagree more, I guess. But on the other side, you also become lonely because it's basically you're working alone. At the end of so. For Ramon, when you wake up, you're happy to be alone. <laughs> but for many people, sometimes you feel like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? Who am I going to talk to? And, and stuff like that. So it, it's a little bit lonely, but uh, there's still a higher possibility that you become successful because you make decisions on your own. Faster. You missed the water cooler talk, right? You, you missed the talk. <laughs> hey, Bob, good morning. How are you? How was the game? How was your family? How was exactly. your dog? Oh, did you go to the store? With me, Paolo, it's just, hey, Ramon, how are you? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe I talked to my puppet. Maybe. That's better. <laughs> yes. That's a really interesting statistic that you shared. So that would really uh, encourage some people to consider this. Um, but having said that, you know, I think it takes a certain type of person to be a solopreneur and to be able to do that. What would you say are some of the traits that would someone would need to be able to be a good, successful, and lasting solo? Because as we know, it doesn't always happen. The success doesn't always happen overnight. 
Yeah, no, I think a few things come to mind. I think, and it does, this is the, the skill of, as it were, of entrepreneurship overall. But I think a few things come to mind, especially for Solo and Paolo touched on that. You do have to be willing to chart your own course to a degree and be alone, as it were. You're not alone literally, but the aspect of being alone, you don't have like 10 people, hey, can I come to your office and and ask this? But you can create that with online groups, Facebook groups and mentors and things like this. I think point two, as Marie Forleo talks about, the aspect of everything is figure outable. Definitely for a solo business owner, you have to be able to just figure it out, either using a search engine or asking others. I think the third thing is a lot of adaptability. Fourth, being able to wear many hats. This doesn't mean you have to be a WordPress guru, but it does mean you shouldn't be afraid of getting your hands a bit dirty. And I think the last thing I'll say, and I talk about this in Grow Your Solo, is the aspect of calendar and inbox management. I find that especially the smaller we are, the more focus we have to have on our time, because even though me, Paolo, and Felicia, the same amount of hours in the day, in New Jersey, I think we have two more minutes in our day, but same amount <laughs> of hours in the day. But I think that you have to just manage that a bit better. You know, it's really more important that you that you say no even more often and manage that timing a bit better. I think it's important. Well, I think Ramon mentioned everything already, so I'm not going to add on to that. But I think just except for one thing, I, I think everyone needs to be mentally tough these days because uh, as we are experiencing pandemic, we are also experiencing being by ourselves most of the time. So we have to be mentally tough. And in, in and what could help is basically just reaching out to people even online. Do you have some tips for uh, building a solo business? Paula, what, what would you say would be some tips for people wanting to build a solo business? I think key to building a solo business is finding what you really love to do. And I just realized now that back in the Philippines, even though I was uh, working as a journalist, I actually started a small business on my own, like a small antique shop. And it all started with just my interest for super old bottles, like pre-war Coke bottles. So I was thinking, I think many people would actually love to buy these. So I collected two, three pieces. And then before you know it, I have a lot of bottles already. So I started renting some some space and displaying them as if it's like a gallery. And then I grew it like I grew it to become like an antique shop. So key is really finding your passion, what you really love to do, and actually running it instead of thinking of coming up with, let's say, a tech company. Well, if that's not your passion, then maybe you shouldn't start with that. Start with something that you're really passionate about. Thank you. And Ramon? Yeah, no, I like it. I mean, I echo that. If you have something you're passionate about and you have the fundamentals of business, leadership, team building, uh, marketing, finance, and those fundamentals, I think you'll be okay. You know, and I think that fortitude to keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. But as people say, right, that if you're doing the same thing the same way, getting the same result, you're going to get the same result if you keep doing the same thing the same way. So I echo what Paolo said for sure. Everyone always thinks that they want to make a million dollars or have a million dollar business. But I'm wondering, like, maybe the approach of creating a successful $100,000 business, um, although it doesn't sound as sexy, you know, maybe that is a more practical or sustainable or, or attainable thing to do. And I think, Ramon, you talk a little bit about that in your book and what you what you do, right? 
Sure. Yeah, I think the aspect on that is that people do talk about the proverbial million dollar business. I mean, my friend Elaine Fodelt, she has a book called The Million Dollar One Person Business, in fact. you know, And I think the reason why, at least in the U.S. context of money, and in more particular than the U.S. in the Northeast, I'd love to know what you think, Paolo and Felicia, is that you know, one hundred to two hundred thousand dollar New York City type of living that you kind of want to make in there. And with that, if you talk about the, the gross revenue, half a million to hundred thousand based on taxes and paying your team, that could be what you're left with. My point in saying that is that in many parts of America or other parts of the world, yeah, grossing two hundred, grossing two fifty, being able to pay yourself one hundred or even a bit less. You can live pretty well, especially if you're satisfied. Maybe you want a, a, a you know a, a used car. Maybe you have a live a very simple life. You can do fine. So I think if everybody has to buy a Rolls Royce, yeah, hundred thousand dollars not going to work for you. But I think the reason why Felicia, because it's so hard for many people, especially the smallest of small businesses, to b- break that barrier. But definitely shout out to those that are that are generating over a hundred thousand dollars, or or a better way to say it. Being able to pay themselves, maybe that's a better way to consider it, $100,000 and making a bit more that covers their overhead. So I think that's kind of in some in some circles, indeed, the quote unquote magic number for sure. Paula, what do you think of this? Well, for me, I don't have an experience having a million dollar business like what Ramon has built. But I, would, I wouldn't mind having a million dollar, but uh, yeah, it's definitely welcome. But... I, I don't usually aspire to actually building businesses that's that much worth. To me, it's always about the value that I could provide with with the services that I have. For example, um, I don't think a platform that educates entrepreneurs in developing countries would help me generate so much money because the target audience itself is someone who does not even pay or is not willing to pay. But my goal is to provide value to them by providing some sort of education. And to me, that's more valuable. But as Ramon is saying, right, if you're able to pay yourself like 100000 and a little bit more, I would be happy with that as well. Yeah, I mean, perhaps as I alluded to, it's more attainable and uh, maybe it's more attainable than building a million dollar business. And perhaps if you built a few um, hundred thousand dollar businesses, you could build on that um, if you knew how to manage your money, uh, that sort of thing too, right? And Felicia, if I can add one more thing, I think yeah, as well please. that if people are doing it right, it, you can't stop growth. You know, Paolo made some very specific points, the market I'm in, that maybe they're not going to expect to pay it or it's free. That's a different, you know, that's one example there. But in generally speaking, if you're making, you know, whatever the gross is or you're doing things right and you're serving the right customer, it's going to grow. Word's going to spread out. Oh, Paolo has the best gelato in, in Taiwan or Paolo has the best gelato in wherever he may be. People are going to want to stand in line and get that ice cream or gelato or rice or whatever it may be. So that's a silly example, but sometimes it's hard to stop success. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts about um, tips for building a business that can generate hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue? Meaning like any types of businesses that are more suitable to that scale? One thing I can say, one of my friends, his name is Shane Sams, and he says, can you get 100 people to pay you $50 a month? I don't know what the math is on that, but the point being a lot of communities, and there's communities for everything, people crocheting, cooking, legal services, what have you. So I think that's one way that, think all of us, 
We all want to learn some skill. And he talks about an example. Again, his name is Shane, where I think it was a librarian. She had a certain way of doing research, helping the kids with books. She put the template online. It was like, you can have this for $25 or $50. So my point being, things like that are a way, pretty simple way, because we all have knowledge inside. And especially online, how can you monetize that? So monetize that. So if you're building a building, of course, or you're selling fabric or you know selling clothing, that's a little different model, you know. But if, especially if it's digitization or you're selling knowledge, there's many ways to do that uh, simply from your bedroom or back of a car to make some extra income or full time income for sure. Yeah. So to add on that, we are basically on a on a year where everyone else, everyone is trying to teach everyone something. You you get to diff you get online and you always see a lot of like advertisements about um, teaching you how to do things. And some platform makers are also allowing any normal uh, citizen to actually teach everyone with whatever they know. So basically, as Ramon is saying, as long as you could actually articulate yourself and teach people about what you know, people are willing to pay for it. But the good way to begin is really identify not only your passion point, but also what do you think is a pain point of someone that you could actually solve. And if you can get 100 people to pay you a certain amount, then that's that's money that's going to be generated. I think that there um, was some kind of saying that if you could have your first 1,000 followers um, or 1,000 you know, people that are interested in what you have to deliver, then you've got a pretty solid idea. I'm curious to know, well, I know that Paulo mentioned that he's worked in a large corporation. And so I'm wondering if you personally, either one of you can answer this question, but if you personally prefer working on a solo business project or a larger scale of business. Well, I would love it if it's my own company. So if it's like a, a company that has a thousand people in it and it's mine, then I would love to do it. But working for a corporation, um, I knew it, well, and this is not wrong. This is not to say that, oh, working for a large corporation is wrong. Working for by yourself is correct. What I'm saying is that personally, I prefer working uh, on my own, like company. And that's because I could get a little bit of control of what I want to do. And I feel like uh, I'm adding value to a greater community as opposed to working for a company wherein somehow... Uh, you are just following what people tell you to do so that they could do what they want. So there's uh, there's a saying that when you work for a company, you're fulfilling the boss's dreams. But when you work on your own, you are actually fulfilling your dreams. And personally, I choose to fulfill my dreams. It's a hard path. I have to say that to, to everyone. It's It's not an easy path, but it's actually fulfilling. I can certainly identify that because I remember when I first started working, thinking that, um, yeah, I'm working for somebody else for somebody to make money for somebody else and giving the best hours of my day to somebody else. Do I really want to do this? And, and the beauty of doing that, of course, Felicia and Paolo, as we know, is that if you're working for someone else, as, as you said, Paolo, no shame in it. That's a good thing. The system is built. McDonald's, the system's done. You go in and leverage your mind or your body. For that company, because it, it, entrepreneurship is not for everyone. Everyone is not risk tolerant. Everyone does, does not have creativity built in. Everyone is like, hmm, 10 people said no. Yay, let me wake up in the morning and hear 10 more no's. <laughs> Everybody can't go through that. 
it's a tough, tough business to be in. And now for a short break. We're proud to say that Talking Taiwan is now a 2021 Golden Crane Award-winning podcast. Talking Taiwan is a Golden Crane Award-winning podcast and the longest-running Taiwan-related podcast. We are dedicated to bringing you stories connected to Taiwan and Taiwan's global community. Help us to grow and continue producing engaging content by making a contribution on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash talking Taiwan. I don't think I have to ask you, Ramon, what your preference is. Definitely. Work for myself for sure. Paulo, you're the author of a book called um, Star of Taiwan. Can you comment on Taiwan as a place to do business and more specifically as a place to start start a business? Well, um, history-wise, looking at Taiwan, Taiwan is actually a place for uh, entrepreneurship. And if you come to Taiwan, you will see a lot of like mom and pop uh, stores that are like uh, sprouting everywhere you go. In fact, in small alleys, you'll find coffee shops that are really well well lit. It's 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 a nice and cozy place to go to. But uh, there's a there's a new trend in Taiwan where the government or even Taiwan itself is attracting a lot of foreigners to come to Taiwan. First, because Taiwan has been ranked as the safest place in the world to live for expats, and number two. There's a huge amount of uh, or a huge pool of talents in Taiwan having the best universities around the world, one of which is NTU, where I graduated from. And because of these, um, foreigners actually want to come in and build their own uh, businesses. So it's becoming like a very attractive for people who want to actually live peacefully and safely and start their own companies. Yeah, I think that Taiwan's successful handling of COVID was um, to their credit and really attracted a lot of people. And um, in fact, one of my guests said that during the pandemic, Taiwan kind of became like a haven for Silicon Valley people. But there are some challenges also about doing business in Taiwan. One of the challenges that you would face here is that and that's a good point that you raised here is is that when you come to Taiwan to start your own business, don't expect that it's just gonna flourish as you dreamed of. And it's not it's not like any other countries. It's the same as with anywhere else you build your company. There are risks that are involved in building your company. The only reason why Taiwan is attractive is because of the environment that was created by the, the ecosystem as well as how the government is trying to attract. So one of the risks is that one of the difficulties would be dealing with Taiwanese culture. So it's entirely different from how the Westerns do things. So you will have to expect different ways of dealing with Taiwanese people, for example. Ravon, are you taking notes? <laughs> hey, listen, I can't wait for the invite. I'm, I'm excited to come and, and launch a first venture uh, and, or partnership with Paolo. Let's do there it. There you go. Let's do Let's it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I understand, like, I think language is um, maybe a, a little bit of a hurdle, right? Because the official language there is Mandarin Chinese and a lot of the documents and all that are in Chinese. Like, I know that when I was in Taiwan, I found that to be a challenge because I was born and raised in the U.S. and Canada, and I don't read Chinese, so that's quite a challenge. Xie xie. Wow. <laughs> okay, there you go. So I think 
Um, but if you are a solo business founder, at least you get to minimize this kind of like difficulties because when you work for large corporations, most of the employees are, of course, Taiwanese and they speak Chinese. Meeting rooms are always started in Chinese. Somet somehow, uh, sometimes they will speak in English if they know a foreigner is sitting, but they will revert back to their uh, original language. Uh, maybe 30 minutes after the, that first interaction. And then, so it, it's a little bit of like a challenge, but if you're a solo founder, you get to minimize that. If you could speak the basic Chinese, just to allow you to go around, buy stuff, ask for directions, I think you'll survive. The young generation right now of Taiwanese are actually able to speak English. Right. Right. But what about in terms of like legalities and legal contracts, if there's things that need to be written? That's when you need the help of an agency. And this is why in my website, uh, www.startupintaiwan.com, you'll be able to find a list of foreign friendly agencies who could help you navigate through the businesses uh, here in Taiwan. Uh, Ramon, actually, I'm curious. Like, would you have any questions for Apollo? If you're like, because you know, as your experience as a solo entrepreneur, and if you were to think about wanting to do business in Taiwan, like, what questions would you have for him? Sure. What kind of things would you suggest that someone could start in Taiwan? Is there, for example, one question comes to mind? Is there an appetite in Taiwan for American branded products and or American made? Or is Taiwan a pretty open market where those things are not, they're not novel? It's like, yeah, we have a ton of American. What's the appetite for Taiwanese people wanting American made goods or American branded goods? What is that like there, Paolo? That's a good question because the focus of Taiwan right now is building itself to be a tech hub here in Asia. So their focus is really on uh, IoT, AI. They're also focusing on finance and biotech. In fact, the government is trying to um, help any entrepreneur who's starting businesses along those uh, key topics by providing them a lot of like tax incentives, or government grants. As far as for the appetite of Taiwanese, of course, they always welcome anything that's Western. Um, you'd also see a lot of like, um, like simple shops, like uh, an Italian would come in and build his own like pasta company here would really be appreciated because most of the time, Taiwanese would actually want that authentic taste. Sure. And it's always appreciated if if someone, let's say a Filipino, will uh, build a Filipino restaurant. Well, I boil eggs very good. Do you think I could open up a boiled egg company there? Do you think there's enough of that there, uh, Paolo? I think there's still a space for that, especially well, I, I am a boiled egg lover. And I know that there is a wrong way of doing that. So if, if, if you can do it the right way, like the proper amount of heat, then mm, you could wow. make that misses. So we'd make it an experience. We'd have it where you come in and put a quarter in or whatever Taiwanese money, a quarter in, and the egg drops out and starts a whole process <laughs> in the end. The egg is boiled and spins, and you can engrave your name on it. How about that? There you go. I think that's Sounds a good business. Good. <laughs> um, and Paula, you mentioned something about like having to deal with the culture and Taiwanese people. Did you want um, to talk a little bit more about that and give some specific example? Well, I think some of the things that you need to uh, watch out for is the way 
you give gifts in Taiwan. For example, you are not supposed to give a slippers or shoes as gifts because they say you're, you'll be stepping on that person. Or you're not supposed to give an umbrella to a lover because it means, um, I think it has a meaning of separation. So it's something that you shouldn't be giving or pearls because pearls look like um, pearls look like tears. So you'll be giving them tears or something. So uh, small things like this uh, matter to uh, Taiwanese people. And if they know that you're actually very watchful of their culture, they actually will appreciate you. And one thing to remember is that, especially for our foreigner audiences, if you want to do business in Taiwan, Taiwan is one of those countries with a high per capita income, meaning you're likely friends with someone who has some funding, who could help you like uh, improve, like, you know, fund your business. But the way to do or to deal business with Taiwan is not like an instant, hey, fund my business or hey, help me out. There's something that we call here as guanxi, guanxi, wherein you actually build a relationship. And that means when you're able to build that relationship, you build that trust of a Taiwanese, he will open up doors for you, not only his pockets, but his connections. Like, oh, because I think we, we built a good guanxi, then let me introduce you to the owner of this factory so that you will have a sole um, maker of what pro whatever product you're working on. Or let me connect you to my uncle who, who owns that building so that you could further lower your rent costs for your company. Do you have any um, research or information about how Taiwan compares as a place to do business compared to other countries or perhaps we would have to say what city in Taiwan because we've all heard of these um, surveys that say best place to live in the world or the best city to live in the world. Is there anything like that in terms of the best places to do business? Uh, I think Taiwan is consistently moving up the, the scale and that's because of how the government is handling a lot of things here in Taiwan. Uh, specifically, uh, Taiwan is a place for being, uh, Taiwan as the safest country for expats is actually a big factor why it's good to have or do business here in Taiwan. The other thing is that, uh, are you aware that, uh, for example, Google has its second largest headquarters built here in Taiwan? And that's because there is a good, there is a good amount of engineers that actually help Google do what it does. And there are other high-tech companies that have offices in, in Taipei or Taiwan, right? Yes. If you know, uh, if you are a Mac or iPhone user, that's actually built in Taiwan by one of the biggest company called TSMC. Since this is the Talking Taiwan podcast, one question does come to mind. So the question is... Um, what do you think about Taiwan's political situation? And as we know, the threat from our very friendly neighbor across the Taiwan Strait, do you think that has any impact on people's perception of the stability of Taiwan or the desirability of doing business in Taiwan? So the quick answer is that I think everyone is well aware of this kind of quote-unquote uh, threat. And But as you can see, many people are still coming in Many people are still trying to build their businesses. In fact, Taiwan is having a record number of foreigners coming in 
and one of the key um, one of the key behaviors that you could see is the growing number of businesses that are established here in Taiwan along the that cur uh, curve uh, where you see a, a a trend in more foreigners coming to Taiwan to live here. So, of course, it's always been the question by many, and many are aware of that, but you could still see the positive sentiment uh, based on the number of foreigners coming in and starting their business. Do you have any specific advice for foreigners wanting to do business or to start a business in Taiwan? Like, for example, is there anything that you could say specifically in terms of immigration visa issues or how they register their business, the legalities, uh, amount of capital you think that they should be prepared with? Sure. For any questions related to starting a business in Taiwan, I've actually tried to build a, a website called startupintaiwan.com that actually answers all those questions that are basically scattered all over Taiwan's internet in Chinese. So what I did was try to put them all together in one book and make it online so that anything related to visas, how to start a, a company in Taiwan, how to open a bank account is all there. It's, it's in startupintaiwan.com. But one of the things that you need to remember, or at least if I need to give a specific tip is that banking in Taiwan is quite a challenge. I think it's, as I call it, quote unquote, it's quite archaic. And it's because up until now, we need to hold our passbook to be able to uh, withdraw money from the bank, even though we could do it uh, ATM. But in many cases, like if we're doing large transactions, we still hold that passbook as a proof that we are a bank uh, a bank account owner. So this is something that you need to watch out for. If you plan to build your business here, make sure that you also have an access to your own bank in your home country, for example, the US. So you will need to ask, let's say your bank managers to uh, give you a lot like pieces of uh, evidence or documents that prove that you are the owner of a bank account in the US and that you want to access this bank account from Taiwan. Because when you land here in Taiwan, they will ask for all of those documents before you could even withdraw money from your own bank in the U.S. It takes days. Paulo, I know that you have a podcast called Startup Taiwan and that you have some questions you'd like to ask Ramon. So let me do my Startup in Taiwan interview. So Ramon, I'm actually very much interested in how to do business in New Jersey like. Awesome. Well, thanks for asking me, Paolo, and it's good to be with you and learn all about uh, Taiwanese business. So in New Jersey and or in the U.S., I think there's a few things. One, you can do it yourself. Uh, it's state by state, so you can file articles of incorporation with the Secretary of State in your local state, and most states will have online forms of how you can do that. Many of us use an online service such as a legal Zoom, Rocket Lawyer, other services like that. I started my fifth company about two weeks ago, and I use one of those services. I just went online, filled out the relevant information, and lo and behold, a few days later, I got this beautiful box in the mail with my incorporation information. And wow. so this is my fifth company right here. And um, once you get this, this then ent entails you to uh, get your business bank account. And then you can start executing and start buying and selling 
right there. So it doesn't take that long to really start a business. It's pretty easy. And in the USA, it's a it's a deep ecosystem to foster entrepreneurship. And for that matter, you really don't, unless you're doing something that requires a license, you don't have to file. And my son lives in Budapest and he was saying, for example, uh, doing nails or, you know, uh, facials and things like that, even something like that, you have to be licensed. You have to go to school even. Uh, so, uh, but the U.S. is definitely a, 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 uh, a fostering entrepreneurship so they make it pretty easy for anyone to start your own business did you publicly say what uh this fifth business is because i know you had it under wraps i will publicly say it now it's going to be called zone of genius zoneofgenius.com to help people find their passion and purpose in life we'll be launching with 100 plus contributors and we will curate their content on the site. Wow, congratulations. Ramon, and I, I bought was... the domain for a few thousand. It was it was available. Oh, so wow. I said, you know what, Zone of Genius? I gotta buy that. Yes, Paolo, please. Uh -huh. I was actually very excited to learn more about how you sold your first two companies. Was it two or how many? Sure, how... two, yes. Yeah. Wow, yeah. congratulations. So I started, <laughs> thank you. I started five as of last week, the fifth one. But the first company was a, a technology consulting company, just me, you know, installing uh, wiring cables in offices back in the day when Ethernet was like hot, like, ooh, what's Ethernet? <laughs> so getting cables from Radio Shack in the U.S. for our Taiwanese audience, we have a, 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 um, a company here called Radio Shack, um, and it used to sell all kind of electronics in the U.S. many years ago. But point is installing cables and Microsoft Access, anybody know? Woo, woo, you know learning how to do forms and reports. So they, I was the, the local geek for many companies, but I dissolved that business. My second one was a smallbiztechnology.com, which in essence was a blog. And I sold that. I started it April 1999. I bought the domain and I sold it in 2019. So the, about 20 years ago from the date I started it. And the third company was an event business and that was called Small Business Summit. Felicia may even have attended yeah, one or two of those in New met. York. Yes, probably was. So Small Business Summit, and I sold that business uh, some years after I started. And then my fourth one today is smarthustle.com, uh, a media business, and then a Zone of Genius. So my question is, how do you sell businesses? Do people look for you and say, hey, I want to build, I want to buy whatever you're working on? Or are you constantly looking for people to buy them? Yeah, of course you have the larger companies, the, the high growth startups that are built to sell. Sure. In my case, it wasn't like that. It was very serendipitously. Uh, a friend of mine I was talking to was like, hey, I know a guy who buys blogs. Maybe he'll want to buy smallbiztechnology.com. Days later, he wired me some money and I gave over my domain to oh, him. Wow. So that was small biz technology indeed. <laughs> and then for the event business, there was another event company that was growing their event business. They kind of liked what we were doing in the New York scene. And they said, we'll buy you out, Ramon. So that's how that happened. So it wasn't as glamorous as you may read in the front pages of Wall Street Journal, you know, where <laughs> I went to the back of the room and signed a whole bunch of documents with a, with a cigar in hand and, you know, we transferred Bitcoin or something. Nah, it wasn't like that. <laughs> that reminded me of a question that I meant to ask that I forgot to ask. You probably answered it because you said that um, selling your businesses just kind of happened serendipitously. Um, it wasn't me. like planned, right? But I was one of my questions was actually in setting up a business, if you had an idea that you had the intention of selling it eventually, is there something that you would recommend that you do in the in terms of setting up the infrastructure um, and thinking about how to make it more saleable um, sure. or thinking about how to make it more transferable to the next owner? 
Great question. I think for me, and I'd love to know your your thoughts, Paolo, but I think that uh, the structure, it doesn't matter so much whether it's an S-Corp, a LLC, a C-Corp, those things don't matter so much. It really more so matters how the taxation passes through and the amount of shareholders you can have. But I think as far as making it sellable, for sure, many of the businesses I've started have been Ramon rate focused and I've been blessed. The buyers didn't mind that so much, but it's clearly still doable. There's a business called a Flippa, F-L-I-P-P-A, that specializes in selling online companies. But I think for sure, one of my friends is John Warlow and he has books called uh, Built to Sell. So I think building the business, reverse engineering it, so it has the systems built in, the processes built in, documentation of what's happening, that makes it. So if I have a business, you know, again, my, my little water bottle here, here and I'm selling it, what is Paolo buying? He, he needs to understand, what am I buying here? Well, Paolo, guess what? We have the system. We have the team. If you put your money in it, there's some differentiation. Maybe you want it for the customer base. Maybe you want it for IP. Maybe you know that you can add more marketing to it and do economies of scale or plug it into your existing operation. So when you make it a utility, it's much easier. For example, if I was selling it to Paolo, for him to see a reason why he should buy it and make it an asset to uh, grow inside of what he wants. Does that make sense, Paolo? Was I on yeah, track with that answer? Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I wish I could be on your shoes one of these days wherein I could sell <laughs> some of my businesses. It's really, uh, sure. it's really exciting to be in that position, I guess. It's really amazing to know that he was able to like sell companies. Yeah. And I was thinking, because uh, from what I know, or at least based on what I have observed, People are actually building things to actually be able to sell them. But in Correct. my case, in my case, I never, I never think of that. I just build things, and if it's the uh, um, tail end of the life cycle, then I'll just let it, uh, let it go. So, Ramon, Paulo, do you have any closing remarks? Sure. Uh, one, I'm so glad I know Paolo because he's going to be my go-to dude in Taiwan. Go. That's one. And then uh, two, just to encourage people, whether you're in Taiwan or New Jersey or wherever you are in the world, starting a business is challenging. But I think if you do it right, take some of the tips we shared tonight, people can do it. And definitely people can check out smarthustle.com. I invite my Taiwanese brothers and sisters who are have their own businesses. Uh, check us out. Pitch us on your ideas and your stories. We'd love to cover them. And also those who want some tips on growing your solo business, definitely check out growyoursolo.com. You can hear my voice, the audio experience on there as well. So growyoursolo.com and smarthustle.com. And Felicia, what a great interview. Thank you so much. Well, I think Ramon already mentioned a lot of like uh, great insights. I've learned from you, Ramon. Um, thank you for all of your your insights, and I'm definitely gonna bring that with me when I go back to my seat and just try to take notes. Felicia, thanks for inviting me as well. Paulo, would you like to say something about your podcast, Startup Taiwan? Basically, I try to interview. Um, foreigners who start their businesses here in Taiwan. Some of them are actually solo founders. Some of them are building their teams. Um, and basically my goal is to kind of put like a life to what uh, solo or bis any startup founder in Taiwan is doing uh, and basically provide a more, more insight uh, more than what the news is telling you about Taiwan. And Ramon, I know that you're very active on Clubhouse. Would you like to say something about that? 
Sure. Yeah, there's something I'm in a community called Breakfast with Champions on Clubhouse, the social uh, audio only app. And I have an episode on Thursdays at 7.30 a.m. It's pretty engaging. And so I invite people to check out those who are on Clubhouse, check out Clubhouse uh, for sure. And you can just look up my name, Ramon Ray. Okay, and we'll make sure that we include all of your social media handles and your websites and all that on the Talking Taiwan website for this episode. I want to thank you both so much for taking time out of your schedule to be on Talking Taiwan. Thank you, Felicia. Thank you, Felicia. Thank you, Ramon. I've been speaking with Ramon Ray and Paulo Leasing about solo entrepreneurship and running a solo business. If you enjoy this episode, go on over to Audible or Apple Podcasts and leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. Tell a friend about us or subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There we'll list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.